When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together. Let's pray as we do that and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the time that we can spend in your word now. And we thank you that by your spirit, you, you speak to us through, us, through this. Uh, we pray that as you do today, that we would be very conscious of your power at work. We pray that you would open our eyes to, to see and understand uh, what you have to say to us today. Pray that um, your word would, would speak into our hearts. You would shape us and, uh, and, and encourage us and change us, Lord, where we need to be changed. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you can think of the most powerful speech 
you have ever heard. Uh, there's some great speeches in history, aren't there? Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech that had a profound part to play in the civil rights movement, or Winston Churchill's We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches speech that inspired a nation in one of its darkest moments during World War II, or William Wallace's Sons of Scotland speech in Braveheart, which surely has to be up there as one of the greatest pieces of oratory in the last 30 years. Uh, great speeches have the power to change the course of history. Uh, and today we learn about a speech that did just that. Uh, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost was a pivotal moment that changed the course of human history as the church exploded in numbers and the gospel spread out across the known world. But what was it about Peter's sermon that caused that growth? Was it his charismatic personality or his thought-through engaging illustrations or his carefully crafted words? No, it was the power that we saw at work last week, the power that Jesus promised to send to his people so that they could be his witnesses. It's the same power that is at work in his people today, the power of his Holy Spirit. And here in Acts chapter 2, we have the moment where Jesus' promise was fulfilled, where God's Spirit was given to his people. If you look with me at verse 1, Luke writes there, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost was a festival that celebrated the harvest. And Luke tells us that, that they were all together in one place. That's a reference not just to the 12 disciples, but to the total number of Jesus' followers at that time. We're told in chapter 1, verse 15, that that number was 120. Uh, while they're gathered together, we're told, verse 2, and suddenly there came a, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now try and picture that scene for a moment. Jesus had promised his followers that he would send his Spirit. But some time had passed since Jesus had ascended, and here they were, still waiting, all gathered together, no doubt wondering, when's this going to happen? What's this going to be like? And then all of a sudden, it all kicks off. We're told there was a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. This was no gentle bee, breeze fluttering through the room while they all held hands and, and sang Kumbaya. No, it was a sound like a hurricane that, that went through the whole house. And then tongues of fire appeared and came down on each of them. This is an extraordinary event. Luke is very clear to point out that every single person in that house received the Holy Spirit that day. No one was left out. God's powerful presence filled that room and empowered his people. And we see the effect of that empowerment in verse 4, Luke writes that the, the, they, were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, uh, one of the more controversial 
areas of the Christian faith is found around our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christians differ on how we receive him and over what his role is in the life of the Christian. So how do we know what to believe? How do we make sense of the Holy Spirit's role? Well, as with everything in the Christian life, we go to our Bibles. And this passage in Acts is really important when it comes to gaining a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. The reason that God sent his Spirit is clear. He sent him to empower his church to be his witnesses. The gift of the Holy Spirit, we, we see here, empowered God's people to communicate. Now, for many of you, English is not your first language, and that's something that, that uh, I find uh, very humbling uh, because of my feeble attempts at, at trying to learn uh, another language in school. As many of you know from experience, to learn a language takes time and discipline and hard work. But in, in verse 4 of chapter 2, we read that the disciples were immediately able to speak in other languages. This is a miraculous event that we're talking about here. We're told that they, they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, these tongues, they were not a new heavenly language. They were languages that could be understood by those from foreign countries. And we know that from what then unfolds in this passage. This gift, it wasn't given for private praise. It was given for public proclamation. We're told, verse 5, that, that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, when you think of Jerusalem at Pentecost, you kind of could just think of Edinburgh during the festival. The place is packed with people who had come from all over to celebrate. And we're told in verse 6 and 7 about their reaction to this miraculous event. We're told that they were bewildered, amazed, and astonished when they heard Jesus' followers speaking in their own native languages. What God did at Pentecost defied rational explanation. And the proper response to a miracle is amazement. The power of God's Spirit at work in His people amazed and astonished those looking on. In verse 9 and 10, we're given a list of all the different places that the Jews had gathered from. Uh, they'd come from various areas of the, the Middle East. The Parthians, Medes, and Elamites would have been from what we now know as Iran. Uh, Mesopotamia was what would be modern-day Iraq. And they'd gathered from parts of North Africa, from Egypt and Libya. This is a gathering uh, from across the known world. And as they gathered, they heard these Christians declare in verse 11, the mighty works of God. And they heard them in their own native tongues. These Jews, they heard about what God had done, and they would go on to hear the message of the gospel in their own languages. And as they responded to that message, they would return home taking that message to their people. And the gospel would begin to go out to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus had promised. And it all flowed out from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, as God's people were empowered to speak by God's Spirit. Now, sometimes we can be reluctant to share our faith because we're maybe not confident about how we would articulate things. 
We're no Martin Luther King or Winston Churchill. But this passage should be a real encouragement to us because it tells us that as we share our faith, God is the one who gives those words power by His Spirit. And by His Spirit, He warms people's hearts to receive that message. It is God's Spirit who opens people's eyes and draws them to faith in Him. As His people, the church, declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Ever since the day of Pentecost, that is what He has done. Billions of lives over the past 2,000 years, all transformed by the power of God's Spirit. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, we can trust God's Spirit to work where He will. The message that we have to share is Spirit-filled. It's a message of supernatural power that can change any life. It's the same supernatural power that's at work in our lives if we put our trust in Jesus. So it should give us great confidence that simply opening up and sharing with people about what Jesus has done in our lives can have a huge impact on them. As God's Spirit came upon these Christians, they overflowed with praise for the God who'd saved them. And they wanted to shout it from the rooftops. They weren't quiet about it. It was the noise that they were making that gathered the crowd in the first place. We read verse 12 that, that some who heard them tried to make sense of what was going on. But others, verse 13, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They passed them off as drunk. And it's at that point Peter stands up to, exp uh, to deliver what uh, is one of the most significant speeches in history. And it begins with an explanation of what the crowd are witnessing. He responds to the mockers, verse 15. He says to them, these people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. The, the third hour of the day would have been about nine in the morning. And Peter explains that nobody was drunk at that time of the day. There was no doubting that something amazing was happening. And the crowd, they needed an explanation. And that's what Peter gives them. He explains that what they were witnessing was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. God had sent His Holy Spirit to His people just as He had promised through the prophets centuries before. And Peter quotes one of those prophecies. It's a prophecy by the prophet Joel, written around 900 years before this event. It begins in verse 17. We read there, And in the last days God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, this was an amazing promise. If you were to go through the Old Testament, what you would see is that God's Holy Spirit came on particular people at particular times for particular purposes. But the prophet Joel promised that one day, all God's people would know what it was to have an intimate relationship with Him through the gift of His Holy Spirit. A day would come when God's Spirit would dwell inside every believer. And the day of Pentecost marked that day. 
Now, some people have taught that, that the Christian's experience of receiving the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from trusting in Jesus. So they say that as well as trusting in Jesus, we need to experience a baptism in the Holy Spirit to be truly filled. And when we experience that baptism, we will really start to experience the power of the Spirit. We'll have a deeper connection to God and we'll start to display particular gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy. Uh, and they would argue that, that we ought to expect the Spirit to, to expect to see the Spirit do dramatic things. And they would base that um, on passages like this in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and there's a separate incident in Acts chapter 8 when the Holy Spirit comes on a group of Samaritan believers. And with that view can, can sometimes go the view that, that those who don't hold to a, a second baptism are limiting the work of the Spirit in some way. Now, maybe you've heard that taught in the past. Maybe that's something that you believe yourself, that, this, that there's this second baptism that needs to take place. Now, that is taught by people who, who love Jesus, who have a deep desire to know God and see Him work powerfully, and it's their understanding of this passage. But I don't think that is what Acts 2 is saying, and here is why. The Christians on that day were in a unique position, the reason that these believers in Acts chapter 2 received the Holy Spirit after believing in Jesus was because they couldn't receive the Spirit until Jesus had ascended. They already believed in Jesus before his ascension, but the gift of the Spirit was yet to come. Jesus promised to send his Spirit after he had ascended. So their situation was unique. Ever since Pentecost, we have lived in a time where Jesus has already ascended. So our experience is the same as other new believers in the book of Acts who receive the Holy Spirit at the moment that they believe in Jesus. So belief in Jesus and receiving the Spirit happen at the same time. When someone puts their trust in Jesus, there are objective truths of the gospel which should give us great cause for praise. It's amazing to know that when we come to Jesus, our sins are forgiven, all our sins, everything. We are completely blameless in God's sight, not because of anything we do, but because of everything that Jesus has done in our place. It's wonderful to meditate on the fact that, that because Jesus rose again, we too will rise to life. Those are glorious truths that we can delight in. They are the objective realities of the gospel. And they ought to have a profound effect on the way we approach our lives and our circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be. But the Christian faith is not simply an assent to a set of truth claims. It is a life shaped by the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. Christianity is not some ideology about trying to live better. If it was, none of us would stand a chance. When we put our trust in Jesus, we experience a transformation. 
as God's Spirit comes to live in us, empowering us to be more and more like Jesus. It's God's Spirit that takes those glorious truths of the gospel and applies them to our hearts. It's God's Spirit who dwells inside us, giving us new desires, a new nature, a new heart that wants to, to live, to please God. It's God's Spirit who enables us to battle sin in our lives. It's God's Spirit that reminds us of His grace when we mess up, as we so often do. It's God's Spirit who grants us a peace that passes all understanding even when our outward circumstances might look like everything is falling apart. Our experience of the Holy Spirit, it might not be dramatic like it was on the day of Pentecost, but it is no less powerful. Now, ironically, those who insist on a second baptism experience can actually be the ones that are guilty of limiting the Spirit's work. Because a focus on tongues and prophecy can fail to take into account sometimes the deeper, wider, richer, everyday experience of the Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. And that is a life that is lived out in what the prophet Joel describes in that prophecy as the last days. And Pentecost, it marked the beginning of that period of the last days, the period between Jesus' ascension and his return. And we saw last week that after Jesus ascended to heaven, the angels promised the disciples that one day he would return to fully establish his kingdom. There would come a day when all things would be renewed. And we are living in that period right now, awaiting his return. If we're Christians, then we live with the, the glorious future promise of being part of God's eternal kingdom. And we experience some of the blessings of that kingdom now but we don't fully experience all of its blessings yet. We see the brokenness of our world all around us. And we know that brokenness in our own lives as well, don't we? The reality of our situation is that right now, that we are not living in the perfect creation yet. And we won't until Jesus returns. But the Spirit who met those met with those believers in wind and fire is the same Spirit who meets with His people today. He is speaking to us right now through His Word. He dwells in us every second of every day. He's with us every time we are in conversation with someone. He's there to be relied upon as we share our faith. It's through God's Spirit that we experience fullness, that His people grow in the fruits of the Spirit, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we do, the world gets a glimpse of the wonder of God's grace and of the hope that we have in Him. And it's a hope that in light of what Peter goes on to say, people so desperately need to hear See, he continues to quote Joel's prophecy, and in verse 19 and 20, we see some pretty vivid language. The sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood, that is language that speaks of the coming judgment of God. We thought about it last week, that, that when Jesus returns, he will return to judge. And that's good news 
for the Christian, we know that, that one day all injustices will be dealt with. All wrongs will be made right. And that's a good thing in a world where there is so much injustice. But it's bad news for those who have rejected God. On that day, they will face God's judgment for their sin. But the prophecy ends by drawing our attention to the mercy of God. That wonderful promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's an incredible promise, isn't it? It's a promise for everyone. A promise for everyone who recognizes their need and calls out to Jesus for rescue. No matter who you are, no matter your past, no matter what guilt you may be weighed down with in your life right now, God in His mercy has delayed His return so that you could call on His name and be saved today. That is the glorious message of the gospel. And it's that message that is still the most powerful message anyone could ever hear. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit, for the blessing it is to know that we do not live life alone, but that you are present in the lives of your people. We thank you that we do not need to think that we go into any conversation about you alone, but that you are there by your Spirit, empowering us, enabling us, helping us, guiding us. So we pray that we would have confidence to declare the good news of the Lord Jesus, knowing that your Spirit will work uh, where you will and uh, we pray, Lord God, that we would take great comfort and encouragement from the knowledge that one day our Lord Jesus will return. One day all things will be made new. One day we will enjoy your glorious kingdom if we've put our faith in him. And we pray that until that day you would build us up, you would lift our eyes to you, you would encourage us to remember by your Spirit the glorious realities of the gospel that are at work in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for all your gifts to us. We thank you for the gift of this church. We thank you for the gift of these people. And we thank you that you do not leave us alone. Not only does your Spirit work, but you have given us your people to build us up and encourage one another. And we pray that we would do that as a church. We thank you, Lord God, too, that you've given us the gift of bread and wine, a visible reminder to us of what the Lord Jesus did on the cross, that we might be forgiven. We pray that as we come to this table now, you would refresh us again by your Spirit as we take the bread and wine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.